This episode is brought to you by Zenith Insurance Company. Zenith is the premier workers' compensation specialist and industry leader. When you insure with Zenith, you're making a long-term investment in your employees and the success of your business. Experience the Zenith difference. Invest in the best. Welcome everyone to our Getting to Know series. I have the unique opportunity today to sit down and speak with Dave Garcia, Rancho Mesa's founder and president. As I think many of you know, uh, Dave typically is the one interviewing our fantastic group of carrier partners, employees, and um, anybody within the insurance industry really. Uh, But today I have the opportunity to be on the other side of the table asking him the questions. So welcome, Dave, and uh, thanks for joining us in uh, in Studio One. Dan, it's uh, it's my pleasure, and I've got to be honest with you, it's a little bit more nerve-wracking on this side of the table than on the side that I'm usually on. So take it easy on me today, okay? I'll see what I can do. Can't make any guarantees, but just excited to to be able to spend some time with you. And, And really, I think there are a lot of people from employees here at Rancho and and also within the insurance community that are going to be interested in hearing what you have to say. So before we kind of dive into your work experience and and ultimately your foray into the insurance world, I'd like the listeners to hear more about your personal background. So so walk us through maybe your family history, heritage, uh, where you were born, raised, and what life was like in the Garcia household growing up. Okay, sure, Dan. I'd be happy to. So uh, we're actually, um, I'm a second generation Spanish descent. My grandparents on both sides of the family uh, were immigrant families here in the United States. They all located in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, didn't know one another prior to moving to St. Louis. And then my mom and dad were first generation Americans. So not a long history here in the country. Uh, my dad, through his career, was in a lot of different cities. So I was actually born in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And when I was roughly two, two and a half years old, my dad took a job here in California and we moved to El Cajon. So El Cajon is really where I grew up and it's really all that I knew. Um, I have two older sisters. They're joys in my life. They've been great to me. I was an antagonistic little brother. One was very nice to me and one kept me in line. So Got it. I I owe something to both of them. So let me backtrack a little bit. You mentioned your father and your mother. Talk about what your dad did, if you would. I'm sure the listeners are interested, but what was was his line of work and and, uh, how did he find the love of his life, really? Sure. So back in St. Louis, uh, as an immigrant family, this is kind of interesting. It's probably where I got a lot of my uh, core values is my dad was the only male in a family of five. So he had four sisters. He was right in the middle. And um, his father sadly passed away at 36 years old. So if you could imagine my grandmother, who was about four foot 10, spoke no English in a foreign country with five children and no husband, life was tough. Um, but back in those days, it was very communal. A lot of cousins, nephews, uncles, aunts, so everybody kind of raised everybody. And I think for my dad, he was looking for a way to, to like, how do I support my mother and the family? 
education was really important, but it wasn't an option. Uh, my dad did not. He graduated high school as, as far as he went, but sports was his outlet. So he was a really excellent soccer player from St. Louis and also a uh, really fantastic baseball player. So the uh, they're not in existence anymore today that the St. Louis Cardinals, back when he was there, it was the St. Louis Browns. And my dad signed a professional baseball contract as a 17-year-old to go out and, and play baseball. So for him, <clears throat> I think in talking to him later in life, it was a need to get out of St. Louis and try to make something for himself and his family, but also to provide money to the family to help support them. His sisters were all very successful, independent women who went on to do great things on their own. But my dad's life out of St. Louis was through baseball. So my dad passed away when he was 97. And from the time he was 16, 17, he worked in professional baseball up until the time he passed away. So he was in professional baseball in various degrees, from a player to a minor league manager, to a, a scout, to a major league coach to a major league manager. So baseball was kind of a, me growing up was our family business. But what was really kind of unique and special about my mom and dad is nothing we ever did was who we were. That wasn't important to them. So baseball wasn't who he was. What was most important to him is the person he was. And that got pushed down to me and my sisters on a daily basis, subtly, um, to we knew, I knew, I didn't need to play baseball. That was not what was going to make my dad happy. What would make my mom and dad happy was if I turned out to be a really good human being. So I owe a lot of that guidance early on to them, which freed me up to do a lot of things. The sky was the limit. They allowed me to dream whatever my dreams would, would take me. Thank you for sharing that. That's sure. really interesting. Part of that I didn't know. So can you talk a little bit more about some of the additional lessons you learned from that period of time and, and maybe as you made it over to El Cajon as you were growing up, um, any challenges during that window you can share and, and or lessons from that? Sure. There's about a 10, 11 year age difference between my sisters and I. And my dad was gone a lot because in baseball, he would go wherever, whatever team he was associated with, wherever they needed him. My mom would stay in El Cajon with the family. As my sisters went off to school and started to go beyond college and be married and things like that. It really was a lot of time just my mom and I. So I didn't really spend as much time with my dad as most people would imagine. My mom was unbelievable. She had absolutely the strongest will, free thinker, no limits. And I got a huge dose of that from her. Um, I loved her dearly. I used to take her fishing. She loved to fish. So the minute I got my uh, license at 16, I would take her fishing every single Sunday. And I have so many funny stories of my mom and I sitting at the lake and trying to catch trout in the rain. You know, it was just, it was super fun. Um, but what, what was important to my dad was he didn't want to not ever see me. And so when he was managing in the minor leagues in towns like Fresno and Salt Lake City, um, as soon as school would let out in May or June back then, I would go live with him. So I, at a very young age, uh, starting at seven, I became kind of his 26th player on his team, and he treated me like a man at that age. And, and I'll give you a couple quick funny stories on that, what I mean by that. But, you know, it was important to him that, you know, I just was seen and not heard and things like that. But 
you know, he would allow me, he would always, if I wanted to play baseball, I would have to ask him. He would never say to me, hey, Dave, you want to go out and hit some balls? And my nickname back then, this is probably going to come back to haunt me. There was a, a TV Western guy named Hopalong Cassidy. And back when I was a little kid, the thing to do was to get a Hopalong Cassidy gun belt, you know, and you wear it around the house playing Cowboys. Anyway, from that, my dad started calling me Hoppy. And so that got shortened to Hop. So there's a lot of men out there to this day that don't actually know my name. They still, when they see me, would say, hey, Hop, how you been? So I was Hop back then. And he'd say, hey, Hop, you want to, you know, let's go play or whatever. And, and away we go. And so initially we'd do it way before any of the players got there and because he didn't want me to be in the way. And I would do my workout with him. And then during batting practice, he'd let me go in the outfield and shag, which at seven years old, I had no chance of catching a ball off a man's bat in the outfield, at least initially. So there was a pitcher who made it to the major leagues. His name was Gary Ryerson. He took a liking to me. And he said, hey, Hop, I'll tell you what. I will give you a quarter for every fly ball you catch. And I'm like, really? And a quarter back then was a lot. You know, I'm like, okay. And so, of course, first day I catch zero or one or whatever. But very quickly, I got very good. And so one day I took him for two and a half dollars. And my dad found out about it. And he said, give, give the money back to Gary. You, you can't do that. Gary, that, that game's over. You know, you no longer can hop, take your money. You know, so uh, it was a lot of fun. But it, it, he made me grow up, be really responsible. You know, once the game started, uh, he would send me to the bullpen. Like, I need you to, you know, like take care of yourself and, and go. And so when we would go on the road, on a road trip, he would give me meal money, just like the players. And so when the game ended, most players go out and have a meal after the dinner. Nowadays, they have food in the clubhouse. Back then, you didn't. So they would go to the local hotel restaurant or the Denny's or something like that. My dad wouldn't go because he didn't want to be with the players, but he knew that I needed to eat. So he would give me my meal money and I would tag along with the players and go to these restaurants, order my food, pay my own bill, tip the waiter, waitress. And that wasn't unusual to me. That was just what we did. Um, and so without, I don't want to spend all time talking about these stories because they're, they're endless, but it, they really helped shape me. So that went on for several years like that. And then when I was in uh, seventh grade, so I was 12, 12 years old, my dad managed winter ball, um, just to make ends meet. There was not a lot of money, probably a low middle income kind of family. And uh, so he would take jobs all year long just to, to make ends meet. So he got a chance to manage down in South America for one of the teams in the winter leagues. They run from October to about February. And um, he knew that that was his normal time to be home and see me. I wouldn't be able to see him. And then he'd leave again for the next season. So he convinced my mom in Holy Trinity School in El Cajon to allow him to take me out of school, take my books with me, take the lesson plan with me, and make sure that when I came back in February, I was at the same level as everybody else in the class. I doubt that could happen today. They allowed it back then. And so I was a very responsible little kid because I was raised like an adult. And uh, he would just say, hey, you gotta get this work done. I expect you to be here and there and away we go. And if he went on a road trip, and they were going to fly, he wouldn't allow me to go because he didn't feel like the 
planes they flew on were safe. And he would said to me, your mother would kill me if something happened to you, you know. So, so what he did instead, which again, you know, hopefully this time has expired on child labor laws or something, but he would just give me meal money, you know, so whatever it was, I'm going to be gone for four days. Here's your Bolivia's, here's your Bolivia. Um, every day at four o'clock in our little apartment, that phone's going to ring every day at four o'clock. You better pick it up. And he goes, besides that, get your homework done, get yourself fed, and I'll see you in four days. And so when I think back on that, I wasn't afraid ever. I'm in a foreign country. I literally don't know anybody but my dad. I don't speak the language. And he had the confidence in me to know I would take care of myself. And I think that's a rooted thing inside me that he helped bring out, that confidence that you can do it. I know you can do it. And when you know when it's really interesting when somebody else believes in you even more than you believe in yourself, it's much easier to begin to believe in yourself. And I don't know if he intentionally tried to do that or if that was just his way of parenting, but that was the byproduct. I became very comfortable, confident, independent, wasn't concerned with new environments. I just knew I could handle it. So hmm. thankfully nothing bad happened. My, my mom did not kill my dad because something happened to me. Uh, but those were two really life-shaping moments for me that I so enjoyed that time with my dad, you know, because I didn't get it like a normal kid. That's really special, really special. So you've talked about your experience with, with your dad, in particular baseball. Talk to the listeners about your own playing career. I mean, I know this, not a lot of people know it, but you were, uh, uh, and I can say it, a very, very good baseball player. So talk about your love of the sport and then maybe how that transitioned into coaching yourself. Yeah. So baseball, again, it wasn't something that um, anybody put on me. I put it on myself. So I just really enjoyed the game. And I, I had a big advantage over a lot of kids because spending all those years with my dad in the game, in the dugouts, I really understood the game. I, I really knew how to play the game at a higher not physically, but mentally at a higher level than most kids my age. So I never, I never played Little League. Um, my dad grew up poor. They didn't do Little League, so I didn't do Little League. So I never played organized baseball till Pony League. So when I was 13, so the first time I ever batted against somebody other than my dad, I was 13 years old. Um, but I just loved the game, and I played all the time. I just I would go hit rocks in the field by myself. I'd go throw a ball against the garage. I just couldn't get enough of it. So I wasn't a very big guy. It was pretty average in size and all those things, but I played a lot. Um, so I had the opportunity out of high school. Um, my dad was with the Angels at that point. I think the Angels kind of, as a kindness to my dad, drafted me in like the 30-something round. But I knew I was not physically mature yet. I was going to go to college. So I went to University of Arizona to play baseball. Um, they were the defending national champs, got there, had a good season, transferred back to Grossmont Junior College here in San Diego to make myself eligible to be drafted. As it is today, if you're at a four-year university, you have to either have completed your junior year or be 21 years old to be drafted. If you're at a junior college, you could be drafted any time. So I opened myself up to that draft and um, was selected by the Yankees, and off I went. Dream come true. And um, without going into great detail, I spent two and a half years playing. I realized the ability to play the game to the level I wanted to play wasn't there. 
for me any longer. So I actually quit, which is probably the only thing I've ever quit in my life. And it was the hardest thing I ever did. And the cool thing about my dad is I remember calling him from spring training. I probably start crying now. Um, like, Pop, I can't do this anymore. And he said, hey, Dave, hop, come on home. Baseball's a hard life. It's no big deal. And I'm like, wow, he let me off the hook. You know, here's a guy that at that time he was managing the, the what was then the California Angels. And I'm, in my mind, like, I'm about to make this phone call and I'm going to really disappoint my dad because I'm quitting. And I'm quitting baseball. And he just totally like, Psh, baseball? You don't need baseball. It's a hard life. Come on home. You do something that you want to do. I'm like, wow, that was very freeing for me to do. But it also lit a fire in me to never let somebody. Th so my career in baseball, somebody kind of took the love of the game away from me. I allowed that person to do that. That will never happen again. And I was very, as I raised my sons, clear to them to not ever let somebody do that to you. You choose what you know is best. And one of the things that I learned from that experience is I discount when people tell me I'm really good at something and I discount when people tell me I'm really bad at something because in, inside of me, I know. I know if I'm good or I know if I'm bad. And when you get caught up in what people are saying about you, you have a tendency to try to live up to somebody else's expectation, either good or bad. And so I let that happen to me in baseball. It was a tough lesson. I made sure it didn't happen to my sons. Um, and it's never going to happen to me again. So hard lesson. Love baseball. Been a big part of my family. And, uh, you know, here we are today. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's shift gears a bit and talk about your own family. Yeah. Um, and if you can just, uh, I'll, I'll leave that open and let you kind of fill in the gaps and you have a wonderful family. So share with the listeners, um, what you can. Yeah. So I'm, I, I'm very blessed. As I mentioned, I have both of my sisters are, are still here with us. My mom and dad have both passed. Um, my wife, Charlotte's awesome. She's, she's been somebody that's encouraged me much like my dad to dream and just go after it. And I uh, don't know why she felt that way, but she's always believed in me. And sometimes, as much as I want to be confident, you do let doubt come into your mind. And when somebody else says, no, 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 you got this. You can do this. I'm like, okay, now I'm not just going to do it for me. I'm going to do it for you too. And so for me, it's not, I've never been a person about me and more about whatever I did I'm trying to do for me, but also more importantly for somebody else, like provide for my family or make somebody proud of me and things like that. And so um, Char and I, we have a blended family. I have four sons. Two, I can say now work here at Rancho Mesa. I'm excited about that. We, uh, that's a whole other topic. And uh, luckily for me, they're, they're my best friends. My, my sons are my best friends. Uh, my oldest son is in private equity up in the Bay Area, so we don't get to see him as much as we'd like. But super proud of him because he kind of he went off on his own and, and, and chose his passion. And then my other son worked for Google, and um, he's done really, really well there. So I'm blessed. I've got all four of them are married. Three of the four have children. So we all know God has a sense of humor. I have seven grandchildren, and six are girls. So... You know, it's a total new experience for all of us, and we're fired up for it. And uh, the girls are, I, they're no different. They're just, I didn't know they would be no different, but they're no different. That's called um, a power shift. Power shift, yeah. And, uh, you know, the great thing about it is I'm really kind of lining myself up as I get older 
and I'm going to need, you know, attention and care. Um, pretty sure my sons will just pat me on the head and go about their business. But between my granddaughters, my wife, and my daughters-in-law, I'm kind of covering my bases with all of them to make sure at least one of them, you know, will look after me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's transition now. You've talked about uh, growing up, how you got to, to El Cajon, certainly your, your time with your parents and, and baseball. Let's kind of transition now to life after baseball. So talk about your first meaningful job after graduating, uh, I would just say you're an Aztec too, right? From from San Diego State, um, and what what you took from that? Yeah, so San Diego State was, as I mentioned, I was uh, drafted and signed my baseball contract after my second year in college. So after I got out of baseball, I still needed to go back to college. So I went back to San Diego State, worked at Safeway as the general merchandising clerk. So my shift was ten o'clock at night till seven in the morning. I would strip the floors and then rewax the floors three times a week. So it wasn't fun, but it was what I had to do. Got out of college, and both my one of my sisters and her husband uh, both worked at Xerox. And I didn't know anything about Xerox at the time, other than I, I knew it was a copier machines. So I interviewed there and got a sales position with Xerox. And come to find out that Xerox is the leader in sales training in the country. So they have a big training facility back in Leesburg, Virginia. It's back in a forest. Got to go through a guarded gate. Um, they train everybody on how to sell. And I was uh, lucky enough to be a big part of that. And so then after having a territory and selling, my role became sales manager where I was taking kids out of college and training them for a year. And then the next year I'd get more kids and train them again. So the sales process was really rooted into me. And I had done well and Xerox was intending to move me corporately to advance my career. And I really had no desire to leave San Diego. So they were okay with that. And I would just kind of take different positions within the region, but not leave San Diego. At the same time, another gentleman from Xerox who I did not know had left. And uh, he was a neighbor of a person who owned an insurance agency. And they got to talking kind of over the back fence. And this owner of the agency was wanting to do some different things within the company and needed somebody to come in and kind of help him with his manage his accounts. And this guy was a very polished Xerox salesperson. So he brought him in. And when that person came into the the agency, it was Pacific Insurance Agency here in San Diego. And it was a large regional agency, probably had 100 employees, so pretty good size. He looked around and said, hey, you know, have you ever thought about just hiring professional salespeople and then teaching them insurance rather than taking an insurance person and trying to teach them how to sell? And um, the owner was uh, willing to go along with that kind of a concept. So this one Xerox guy reached into Xerox. I didn't know him, but he reached into a our HR person who knew us both. He described what he was looking for. She said, it's me, it's Dave. Um, and she put us together. So it honestly, you know, it took me 18 months to, to make that change because I'm leaving a fortune, you know, 50 company. I'm wearing a suit and tie every day. And I'm going to go sell insurance over, what, a coffee table and try to talk somebody into something they don't really want? I'm That's not for me. Um, but he's like, no, 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 no. It's business insurance. You know, you're you're going to learn, you know, vicariously, you're going to get a, be a part of that company. And you're going to protect not only that company, you're going to protect all those families that work within that company. I'm like, how does that work? And, and then he started to explain it to me. 
And what year was that? So that was 1987. Okay. Um, and it was right around my Drew, one of the, my sons is here. His, his birthday is April 22nd. And um, there's a video at his birthday party of that year of me saying to the camera, okay, I just left Xerox and I'm starting this new career. And I'm going on record as saying, this is either the dumbest thing I've ever done or the greatest thing I've ever done. We'll find out. And uh, off I went. And uh, kind of keeping the story to a, a brief, brief as I can make it. Um, what I found out when I got into the insurance industry was you really were going to now be rewarded by how hard you worked and how good you are. And I really like that. You know, I, I'm willing to go uh, against any my competitors one-on-one -on -one and take my chances without any other influences uh, like that. But what I found out when I went to this agency was there really wasn't a lot of structure, sales process, things like that. So I was kind of like, okay, what did I get myself into? Luckily for me, and God's been so important in my life that just has put great people in my life throughout my entire life, is uh, Xerox was a big part of that. So that process that Xerox just ingrained in me I just kind of adapted it to the insurance world. And I didn't really know what success was in insurance. I didn't really understand that. So I, I saw no limitations. So if it was a, a large account, I, I wrote Scripps Clinic at one time. I had no idea it was a large account. You know, it didn't, it was just an account. But in the insurance world, I was like, wow, that's a big account, you know. So I, I got off to a pretty good start with them. Um, and then I saw it as an opportunity for some of my other friends within Xerox. So about every 18 months, I would reach back into Xerox and bring another one of my buddies into the insurance world. And with each one I brought, and they were all like me were successful, um, it was easier to recruit the next one because there was more than just me that, that made it work. Um, that company that I started with allowed me to buy into the company and become a minority partner in that agency, which I'm forever be grateful to Glenn Detloff and Max Gelwix. They were the two principal owners that uh, showed that confidence in me to be part of that group. And then in, now I could be a little bit off on this. Now I would say, I think it was in 1992, they made the decision as the majority leadership to sell the agency to Arthur J. Gallagher. And uh, for the next five years, I worked as the assistant vice president of Gallagher here in San Diego. And that, much like Xerox, just took me to a different level. Um, that national broker like Gallagher and the type of people that were within Gallagher, just really great people. And I was a sponge. I wanted to know everything. They taught me a lot about agency management and about really higher level forms of insurance that we really weren't involved with. So when we talk about, and we've done many podcasts and articles on loss-sensitive plans from captive, self-insurance, deductible workers' compensation, things like that. That was all new to me until Gallagher acquired us. So it gave me this foundation, again, much like Xerox did, of this um, knowledge that I, I didn't know I didn't know until I knew it. And then I realized most of the people out there don't know it. Um, so how do I make that take it to my advantage? So... That got me to Pacific Insurance. And then after those five years, I just felt like there was uh, accounts here in San Diego that were, I felt we needed to be more customer centric than I thought we were being. So I just felt like maybe there was another way to do this. And 
Shar at the time was, uh, my wife at the time was running a region for a specialty work comp carrier. So she spent her whole career on the workers' compensation side. And I ran it by her and just said, you know, what do you think? Could we do something where we could bring national broker expertise and services, but remain customer centric? And she goes, we can do that. I think we can do that. And so I said, okay, then you've given me the encouragement to do it. I'm sure most of the people, if you're listening and you're a business owner and entrepreneur, my story and your story is going to be very similar. You start a company, you have no money, um, you have a dream, and then you just make it work. I think this goes back to my parents. It's like you control your effort. You, nobody else controls your effort. And then Coach Fisher at San Diego State's become a friend. And I've been with him when he said that to his players. He said, fellas, I, I do not coach effort. If I have to coach effort, you're at the wrong school. Go somewhere else. So I've always taken that to heart. So I've just figured I'm not the smartest guy out there. Um, God gave me only so much of that ability, but I can control how hard I work. And so if I can, maybe I'm not as smart as you, but if I can outwork you, I got a pretty good chance of winning. So that was kind of the premise to get it going, Dan. And man, we can tell a lot of funny stories uh, about those early days, but uh, that was the premise. And then within about a year, Char's, uh, my wife's company was bought by another company and culture change. And then she became unhappy there. And uh, I convinced her or she convinced me or well, I, she'll probably blame me that I drug her into this. But she became a, a partner with me every day in the office to help grow the business. So then Rancho Mesa opened for business when? Yeah, July 1st of 1998. So it was myself and my uh, what we called then account manager from what was Pacific to Gallagher, same same person. Uh, she came with me. So she took a giant leap of faith because we didn't have much to start with. And um, the businesses that I had, there was about eight companies that I had been their broker for years that took a leap of faith with me when I started Pacific. Had they not followed me to Rancho Mesa, Rancho Mesa would have not succeeded. Honestly, I've just been a blessed guy. So many things have just fallen my way that shouldn't, that did. And um, then I worked hard enough to try to make the most of those things. And where were you located originally? I think some people may know that, but some yeah. people may not. Yeah, this is kind of funny because everybody's like, hey, Rancho Mesa, that's kind of a cool name. How'd you come up with that? And this is when you'll find out that I'm really all not that smart. So I was living in Rancho San Diego and I, I really kind of identified with like, uh, you know, Mayberry RFD, a little small town. So I found this little office space in downtown La Mesa. So I'm like, what, what should I call the company? I'm like, I know, Rancho, Rancho San Diego, Mesa, La Mesa, Rancho Mesa. And uh, so that's how we named the company. And we were in this, oh gosh, this awesome location with a terrific building superintendent named Les that I, to this day, I owe him a debt of gratitude. He was just awesome. He would do anything I needed to help pull wires through walls or whatever it was. And, uh, and then two people, Dan Carey, uh, he was one of my clients, really good friend. And then another friend that was another, he was a broker in another agency named Jim Kettering. Uh, the three of us couldn't furnish the office. I think we've done one of the flashback Fridays. So there's a picture of this, but a buddy of mine owned a, bought a company in up in Culver city. And he knew I had no money and he knew I needed furniture. So he said, I'll tell you what, Dave, 
I just bought this company. You guys bring a truck up. You just, I'll give you the key. You walk in, take anything you want, furniture, whatever. Just load it up and take it. It's yours. I'm like, you want me to pay you for it? He says, no, just take it. So the three of us, three knuckleheads go up there and like, we, <laughs> we don't even know what we're looking for. We're grabbing telephones that don't work once we get back. Cause you know, they had to have a, they had to be sequenced, you know, into the line. We didn't know that. So we grabbed telephones, we grabbed chairs, we grabbed bookcases, uh, we grabbed a big conference room table that weighed probably, I don't know, 500 pounds. So in the meantime, you know, I, I was coaching Little League and trying to make sure we had enough money to pay the our little bit of payroll, you know. So it was fun. I, it was fun. It was work, but it was fun. And then shortly thereafter, some really meaningful people came into my life that really helped grow the company. Thanks for sharing. That uh, gets us to that point. So let's just kind of shift gears about philosophy. Sure. Uh, you know, has there been a maybe an overriding philosophy or philosophies that you focus on as, as you've grown the company? Any phrases or mottos, anything that kind of comes to mind? Because, you know, 25 years is a long time. So there's been a lot of change through that. But uh, what what has been your, your philosophy through that window? So I think, you know, uh, culturally, we talked about trying to, you know, bring this national broker expertise with customer centric. But I think the overriding theme that's just been a part from my childhood forward was this ability to try to to dream and try to follow your dreams and try to make your dreams come true. So Carl Sandburg has a quote that says, nothing happens unless first you dream. And that when I read that, I felt like I was reading my life's bibliography. You know, it's like, there it is, or biography, like there it is. That's exactly what I want everybody that comes through our door that works at Rancho Mesa. I want them to follow their dream. And I want them to understand that nothing's going to happen without those dreams. And I'm really proud of that because so many of the things that we've been able to do over the years were not my dream. They were somebody else's dream within the company. And I was just a beneficiary of you know, tagging along on their dream and trying to help them, if I could, achieve their dreams. So as we started to grow, people would ask, well, what is it, you know, how big do you want to be or those things? And I'm, I'm just never been that person. You know, I'm like, I'm not really trying to, to do that. But I said, you know, what I really want to do is I, I'm not really trying to be like one of the best agencies in San Diego or one of the best in California. To be honest, I'm trying to be the best. I'm trying to be one of one. And so th those words just came out of my mouth one day and I uh, was here with somebody that I owe a lot to, Alyssa Burley. And I said, hey, what do you think of this? What if we ran that into one word, made that one word and capitalized the O's? And she encourages me a lot. And she said, yeah, in fact, why don't we try to trademark it? And I'm like, can you do that? And she goes, I, I think so. Let me see, find out. So we actually trademarked that. We created a word. It's one of one and it's one word. And the cool thing about it is this. I think if I say that to anybody, it doesn't really require much explanation. Everybody understands what a one of one is. But what everybody also understands is you'll never be one of one. Because whenever you reach a level, there's always another level. And it's like the summits. You know, if you're a mountain climber and you, you see the peak and you climb it, and then you get to the time, you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize there's another peak. That's exactly what we're trying to do at Rancho Mesa. That is something we will never achieve, but will always be reaching to do, if that makes any sense. It does. It does. 
I share with the listeners how the agency has moved towards being so niche and or industry focused. Where did that concept come from? And, you know, why do you think it matters? Yeah, I think early on, and Dan, you were a huge part of this thing. And I, I don't know if we're going to get an opportunity for me to share some of what I feel about you and how you've helped the agency over the years. But you and I were the original two, you know, here. And you came here 23 years ago, very near the beginning. And I think when we got together, we had a like mind in a lot of different ways, really like-minded internally, like we, our clocks were the same there. And then business-wise, we we're very similar as well. We enjoy competing. Uh, we wanted to, to do something we were proud of. And so in order to be successful, we started off by saying, you know, we can't just be everything to everyone. So let's figure out a way that we can kind of specialize and get good at something. And construction insurance was something that you and I both kind of had a liking for. Um, and then I had some human services, some nonprofit accounts. So we said, how about if we do those two things and just those two things? And occasionally we might you know, uh, have a restaurant or a manufacturer or something like that. But for the most part, specialize in those two things. And we just felt like by doing that and not being a generalist, we were able to provide those clients a better level of service and expertise than somebody who only wrote one of that type of business. And so that was our initial premise. It's proven to be pretty accurate. I think what we've learned over the years is initially we specialized in construction, each producer in that side of our business focusing on construction, but multiple trades. As we've grown, we've realized there's another one-of-one level there. There's more that we could do. And what we figured out we could do is we need to specialize within the specialty. And that is by far the best thing, best changes, one of the best changes we've ever made. So now we have people within those units that focus on a particular industry only within that construction silo. And their abilities to serve the needs of those that client base um, far surpasses anything we could have done separately of that. So I think it's taken Rancho Mesa to where we're now licensed in all 50 states. We have clients uh, currently, um, I think, in 23 different states. We see no barriers. We see no mileage distances. We just uh, have a, a group that says, okay, if we're going to write somebody that and they're in Nebraska, how do we serve their needs as if we were in Nebraska with them mm-hmm. uh, and just try to create those, those strategies. But I think by being a specialist within that industry and we sit down to talk to them, we're not just talking to them about insurance. We understand their, the issues within their industry. Um, and I think, you know, if you just think of it in, a, in medical terms, you know, there's specialists within the medical industry. You know, so if you have a very serious orthopedic injury, you're probably going to go to an orthopedic doctor, not just a general practitioner. Um, not that the general practitioner doesn't know medicine. He's, they certainly do. But they're not going to know what you need in particular. And that, I think, is kind of where we're heading, is we're going to continue just to specialize in those different areas. And maybe the best example of that is the NALP program um, and, and, and the, the focus that both your boys now have on. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I think that's something I would give uh, Drew, who runs that program for us, uh, a ton of credit. Drew, Drew is a is a, he's a visionary. 
he, he has tons of dreams. He's brought a million ideas, but he realized when he first got here that he needed for him to get his head around just one industry. And that one industry that he just really related to was the landscape industry. Um, then got involved with a national association, the NALP, um, peer groups within those industries, and has devoted the seven years that he's been here solely to that industry. And I think what we've seen is his abilities to impact that industry far and wide, not just clients that we serve, um, but we're able to serve clients or, or businesses that we don't actually write their insurance. We're able to provide them tools to help them grow their business as well. You know, there's probably just in California, there's uh, 200, 300,000 landscapers. Uh, we're not going to be the broker on all 200,000, but we certainly could impact all 200,000 with some of the tools that we could provide them at, at no cost so that they could just better their business. And then we will work directly with uh, any number of clients across the country. So I think that really opened our eyes and it's developed a lot of things that we probably don't have time to talk about from our key performance indicator, our, our dashboard that tracks, we benchmark people against their industries. We have a, we just launched a safety app that has dedicated trainings by industry. So there's just a lot of things that have spiraled off. We talk a lot about um, kind of like a iceberg. You know, everybody can clearly see the peak above the water. What you don't see is what's below the water. Uh, we've got people here with underwater vision. Just everybody here sees below the water. So we take an idea and then find out, oh my gosh, it applies here, here, and here as well. And so that's, for me, super exciting. You know, everybody wants to know, when are you going to retire? Everybody can hear it from me first. I'm not retiring. Um, this is what I love to do. And, but what I love is the Rancho Mesa family. They're an extended part of me that I probably mother hen too much sometimes. You know, I want to make their lives just perfect all the time. But I, I thoroughly enjoy coming to work every day and seeing everybody here. Well, you mentioned that. That was part of my question. I mean, can you talk a little bit more about what the company has meant to you personally and maybe also what you pull from it every day? Yeah. So there's no question that I think everybody would relate. Like you think you're doing something for somebody. Let's say you get involved with a charity because you think it's the right thing to do and you participate in some event. Um, and that's great. The normal experience then is, wow, I got back way more than I just gave. That's how I feel at Rancho Mesa. It's something that I come in every day with a lot, of, try to come in with a lot of energy and things like that. But I end up the day drawing more energy than I'm providing. So the people here, the attitudes, without them, I wouldn't be the same person for sure. So it's a cliche to say, hey, we're family and all those things. And um, I want to believe that in the heart of hearts, many of our people do feel like, this is a family. And um, to me, without doubt, it's my family. And there's not much I wouldn't do for this family if it was within my power. So for me to come to work, insurance is the means to come to work and provide you know, security for our families. But it's the people that provide my inspiration, my energy, and my love to come to want to come to the office every day, for sure. There's no question about that. So I'm not a good liar, everybody. So uh, one of the lessons my my dad and mom taught me was, hey, just tell the truth because you always remember what you said. So you don't have to backtrack. So that's exactly how I feel. So it's uh, 
It's a pleasure to come and I'm excited to see where we're going to go. You know, that's what's so cool because if we're just status quo, I get bored and people know if I get bored, then their life's going to get busy because I'm pushing them for new ideas. And that's what's exciting because as much as we're doing now, uh, I'll I talk to Alyssa all the time and we're like, wow, we've got so much going on. And then we look at each other and go, and you know, there's going to be something else. There will be something else. And we don't know what it is yet, but we'll find it. Well, and you just talked about the excitement. I mean, we're we're moving. Talk about that. We're moving in a couple months. We're celebrating 25 years. There's a lot to be excited about. Yeah, we're, oh man. I think, you know, it was a business decision when, you know, we grew too fast and we outgrew the space that we had in Santee and we couldn't find a building at the time to accommodate all of us. So we took some space back in downtown La Mesa, really close to where we started and separated the office into two. And that was a necessary business practice we had to do. It was not what any of us wanted to do. And so we've looked at tried to build, the, you know, find some land, build a building, all those things. COVID hit, you know, slowed everything down. Finally, uh, as it often happens for us, just God put something right in front of us um, to, to make it work. So we're excited. We're going to be moving to Mission Valley real close to the new San Diego State Snapdragon Stadium. We're designing the offices now. We should, all things uh, go as planned, we should move in the first week of April. So our first day in the office should be April 10th. And I'm already, it's like Christmas to me. Like I cannot wait for day one and see everybody there, like all at once. It's just, I, I, you can't wipe the smile off my face. It's sincere. It's like, I, I literally cannot wait. And um, I don't think that's a, a feeling that's not shared amongst a lot of us here. I think everybody's, it's kind of like, we, you know, when you're in school and you're waiting for summer vacation, it's like, how these last two weeks are just dragging. That's how it feels. Like, we just want to move. Like, let's just get over there and, and, and get after it. And so we're super excited. It's going to be a different look to the office. Um, it's going to be called Industrial Rustic. If our offices here in Santee are more, uh, Spanish Hacienda style. So it'll be a new style, fresh look. Um, we're going to build out our own studio there because we've, you know, the success of the podcast and our videos, we just see that as another tool to use to get our message out to people to try to help them. Um, so we're super excited about that. Um, I don't know. There's nothing. I mean, we're just pumped. That's exciting. Yeah. How do you feel about it? Are you ready to make the move? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. This is, there's a lot to be excited about in the next few months. So, yeah. Um, I want to make sure I take the time to thank you for you know spending uh, so much time with us in Studio One, sharing with the listeners more to your story. Everybody has a story. And uh, I know I learned a couple new things, although I love hearing all of your stories. <laughs> um, and I love how it all came together. I think uh, what I would say from all the employees at Rancho Mesa, that we appreciate you and we honor what you built to this point. So many of us have been here for, for many, many years. It's just a real honor to, to work alongside you and with you. And uh, we're just grateful that you spent the time you, you did with us today. So thank you and uh, look forward to another 25 yeah, years. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Dan. And, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that you were one of the cornerstones of my life. In a lot of different ways, uh, not just in the business world, just uh, how you are with your family, how you treat other people. You know, I've learned a lot from you and I, and I will continue to do that. And vicariously, I've been a part of your family 
And, you know, I love your wife and your children just like they're my own. And it's fun to watch them. You know, 25 years ago, um, your daughter, Ella, was born. She was the first baby born to an employee of Rancho Mesa. And, uh, and now she's graduated college. You know, so excited to see where life takes Ella. So I'm, I'm appealing to you, Ella, that love to have you here at Rancho Mesa some way, some shape. So just remember, I'm the one that got you that chocolate cigar 25 years ago. Yes. Um, so uh, anyway, thanks, Dan, for your time today. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. And thanks to all the listeners for joining us. And we'll talk soon. This is Alyssa Burley with Rancho Mesa. Thanks for tuning in to our latest episode produced by Studio One. For more information, visit us at RanchoMesa.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter.